Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Platov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. Who loves the people? When administering the country, will practice non-assertion. Opening and closing the gates of heaven, he will be like a mother bird, bright and white and penetrating the four quarters. He will be unsophisticated. He quickens them and feeds them. He quickens but owns not. He acts but claims not. He excels but rules not. And this is called profound virtue. Now, there's another translation of it, which I don't like as much, but you might as well hear it, too. In loving the people and ruling the state, cannot he proceed without any purpose of action? In opening and shutting his gates of heaven, cannot he do so like a female bird? While his intelligence reaches in every direction, cannot he appear to be without knowledge? And then there are about 10 other versions, which I won't bore you with. Now, a great many people uh, begin their search uh, for a religion that would satisfy them because they have a very basic question, which simply is, who am I? Who am I? And then they have, where did I come from, and where am I going? These are the three questions that a monk must answer before being allowed into a monastery. You know, when they're waiting there on the front steps, those days, three days, that when he comes out and questions, the other monk comes out and questions, this is what he's asking him, who are you? And you've got to be able to answer. And where'd you come from? And you've got to be able to answer. And where are you going? You have to be able to answer. You know, it's nine-tenths enlightened already. <laughs> hmm? Yeah. <clears throat> well, it used to be that way. It's not quite that way anymore. And I, these also, these questions, are the, uh, they form the basis of philosophy. Philosophy, you know, is trying to reason out the answers to these questions. They, these are questions that uh, everybody should look at and everybody should tackle one way or another. And I would say that if one does not, uh, then uh, it would leave you with a life that is rather bereft.
and uh, we could say it would then be a bereavement of non-accomplishment, or at least a bereavement of not even striving. <clears throat> people, uh, by and large, the majority of people, they turn outward. I mean, you know, out there is where it's at, so out there is where we're going to look. And by, and by and large, throughout the world, people are taught that God is up there in the sky, surrounded by angels. And so when we reach the age of reason, 21, they say, or now they dropped it now to 18, huh? reason. We go out and get a job, you know, so that we are employed, and then gradually we get married, and we have a family, and then what? Well, some people think they've done that, and that is a fulfillment of life. Okay, this fulfills my life. I've done all this. Uh, but where am I going? What is the aim of all of this? What is the purpose of all of this, you know? What is the purpose of my life? Here I am, I, it's fulfilled, I've got a good job, I'm making good money, I've got good kids, I've got a good marriage, and uh, <clears throat> so what's, what's the aim of my life? What's the goal of my life? The job, the children, the marriage, hmm. and what then, my love? All through countless centuries, people have asked this kind of a question. What is the purpose of all of this mess? Hmm? What's the goal? Where is it all going to end? And so we have a philosophical and or religious seeking. And then, of course, we have those people who don't bother with it at all. I'm here and let's have a good time. That's the aim. Good time. <clears throat> now, whether we know it or not, we have a purpose. Hmm? And we feel it. We are cognizant of it somehow, maybe subconsciously, or just sort of waveringly. Way down, there's a reason why I'm here. And we make it all kinds of things except what it is, the reason why I'm here. And, you know, we, we look around and we say, well, I know I'm here. The world certainly must be a better place because I'm in it. After all, I have contributed to it just by my being here. <clears throat> and we dink around with this and we dink around with that. And somehow or another, about the first purpose that comes up is that... <clears throat> accumulate a huge sum of money. That's the purpose. Then I can buy a house, and I can have three cars, and I can buy clothes at a particular store, which I can't do now because I can't afford it. But someday, this is what it's going to be like for me. And that's my purpose. I'm going to be a yuppie. It's a twinny now. Oh, it's a twinny. That's right. It's a twinny now. Anyway, <clears throat> the, the, all these purposes we have, and there are a great many more which I'm not mentioning. 
you can add in your own mind whatever you want and whatever you have thought about. And now this Lao Tzu says about this, he who lives with a purpose not only does not achieve his ends, but he also loses his life. He alone lives who knows the art of leading an ambitiousless life. He alone can live a life in its fullness whose aim does not go beyond the present moment. Now that's very difficult. It's difficult to handle, difficult to image, difficult any which way around you want to look at. Because my mind wants an aim. It wants an aim in this life, naturally. The mind wants a, a vision, an, a, an image of the future, what it's going to be. This is my mind, huh? So mind has a great deal of difficulty in understanding just about anything Lao Tzu says. Mm -hmm. See, and it has tremendous difficulty with this non-aggression or this non-ambition, which we mm -hmm, is non-purpose. My mind does not know how to handle that. Does it? No, indeed. So that he says you too, or he hints at the thing that our attempts to really understand this non-purpose from the view of the thinking mind is what they call in vain. Hmm? And sometimes it's just plain downright ridiculous, this mind, and it's trying to understand non-purpose. You know, we, 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 and people ask questions. We ask them, people ask them, who created the earth? You know, it's out here, it, we look at it. Well, it, it, we make things and so somebody made it. Hmm? Who created the earth? Well, God did. <clears throat> what does this mean? Hmm? What does it mean? Who is this God that creates? Hmm? Have you ever seen him? Hmm. What did he do to create the earth? What kind of material did he use? You know, he created the earth out of, out of what material? Before the earth, there was only empty sky, wasn't there? And you know, they say nothing comes from nothing. Julie Andrews sings that in that song. Nothing comes from nothing. So how did he create the earth? There was a nothing but empty sky. Hmm? And if God made all this, who created God? Hmm? Somebody had to think around with him and hang him up there in the sky, pin him to the stars. Yeah. And of course you can apply any name you wish in the place of the word God. And then, too, the word create conjures up some pictures. And then, on the other hand, supposing the earth was not created, how did it come about? Supposing it just came about through an accident, you know, there are a whole lot of minerals floating around through the air, and they certainly <coughs> suddenly became a conglomeration. They, 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 
wrong. They were glued together somehow, you know. Supposing it was no being's attempt, that it just happened. And that however it came about, it didn't have any purpose to begin with. It just happened. Little particles came together. The mind right away says, but of course it has a purpose. This earth has a purpose. It's here to feed the animals and the people, isn't it? Hmm, where else would we get our food? Do you, <laughs> I wonder if anybody really thinks that, that before the earth became the earth, it was floating around there and out in the sky and it said to itself, well, I must pull myself together here, <laughs> you know? And all these minerals and the water and the plants and the insects and the animals, so people will have a place to propagate. You know, I didn't say live, I said propagate. They got a place to propagate. That's about what we've done with it. The thinking mind doesn't like the situation either, you know. Very uneasy in its position, this thinking mind. Very uneasy. So to keep itself in good condition, this mind, when we ask about life, we already have assumed, even before we ask the question, we have already assumed that nothing can be without purpose. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a reason. Everything is going to fit into this little groove. And when I find the right groove for me, then I will know everything that has been created and the purpose for everything. Look how great I'm going to be. I'm going to fit into this groove and I'm going to know it all. Hmm? Well, and then on the other hand, scientists today say that nature is experimental. Hmm. Uh, there's mixtures of minerals and ores and elements, all kinds of things, these mixtures, mixing and mixing and mixing and mixing. And so we have lots of mutations. And from the very beginning of life on Earth, from the algae and the water, <coughs> it's mutations. You and me. Hmm? And then what? Then what? Hmm. Nature experimented with this and with that blindly. There wasn't any being saying, now do it this way, now do it that way, now do it the other way. Blindly experimenting. At one time, in, in the ongoing of this planet, dinosaurs roamed the Earth. Hmm? And finally, um, they had a seven-year drought, and there wasn't enough food for these dinosaurs to eat. You know, they ate the tops of the trees. And there weren't any trees anymore. So that was the end of the dinosaurs. And what came out of the dinosaurs? Birds. Birds. Believe it or not, that's that line of mutation. Where'd you come from? Huh? 
life is going in another direction, huh? And there isn't any purpose to it. From dinosaurs to birds, it's just functioning within itself. And one can mentally, and we do, and we are very apt to do, is to put a self or to put an entity into the picture and say, oh, someone is guiding all these experiments. And what is it all about is that nature is looking for a perfect human being, well, almost perfect human being. See, we're right back to a purpose again. It is so easy to get into that. And whoa, how we cling to it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And in our looking for purpose, of course, we always have lessons. This lesson I must learn huh, on this road to being a perfect human being. <clears throat> now, if you take the experience, each experience that comes your way, and I might say especially the sad and the dreary ones. You take them and you penetrate through. <coughs> You'd learn something, no doubt about it. Hmm? But then on the other hand, this, this prattling about, I'm, this is the lesson, I'm learning a lesson. I don't really know what lesson it is, but this thing that I'm going through has a purpose. And so I'm learning a lesson and just to go through some misery, hoping that at the end of it there's going to be this great state of elation, and then just forget the whole thing. Which is mostly what happens. The only purpose that served is I learned a lesson. And three days later, you've forgotten it. Hmm? You know, <clears throat> well, it keeps the mind happy. Long, when I was a little kid, <clears throat> I read a poem and it stuck with me. It sticks with me today, you know. The little poem, I walked a mile with pleasure, and she chatted all the way, but not a thing I learned from her for all she had to say. Hmm? I walked a mile with sorrow, and not a word said she, but oh, the things I learned about when sorrow walked with me. Little kids' poems, hmm? Yeah. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> it's true. The very fact that we find ourselves here, and we find ourselves here, we do find our, all of a sudden, oh, we, I mean, you know, we grow up and then one day we say, oh yes, here I am. We find ourselves here in this situation. And we're alive. It isn't very long before we have this implied question, why? And uh, which, if you follow it, will gradually lead you to, who am I? And we have this implication that simply because I'm alive, I must have a purpose. After all, I was sent to this earth with this purpose in mind. Somebody must have had a purpose for my being here, you know? And so, well, we can take that a step further 
and say, well, okay, if, if that's, you're alive and this has a purpose for your being here, then everything that is alive on this earth also has a purpose. So tell me then, what is the purpose? What is the aim? What is the goal in the life of a cat? Or the life of a dog? What about a weed? Well, I can deal with that one. That's easy. The weed is here to give me problems. <laughs> huh? <coughs> See? But doing that, I'm stuck with the ego. Hmm. The weed is here to give me problems. Yeah. What is the purpose of a rose? Well, it's to give me pleasure. Hmm? That's the ego again. You know, and so we make ourselves the center of the universe. And the center of the universe certainly must have a purpose. It, it holds all the guiding reins in its hands, doesn't it, the center of the universe? Why does a tree grow? Hmm? We come the old one, why does a bird sing? Yeah. So man has developed the philosophy and religions to find out who he is and what is God. Now, now, what I'm saying also, you must remember, I'm not saying lead a useless life at all. I mean, if you must have a purpose, then at least live to serve yourself, which is everybody. Hmm? Live for the sake of truth as best you can. And what about living for the sake of living? You're alive. Just live it. Hmm? We could say that life has its own goal, and that's to be alive. Every day, every day, every day, you're alive. Every day, every day, every moment. And this life is sufficient unto itself. And there's no need to seek anything outside of it. It's all in life. But you know, we just can't stand here and do nothing. We have this mind. <laughs> yeah. mm. And not only that, we have to, got to have a roof over our heads, and we've got to have food on the table, and we've got to have clothes for this body. And in this day and age, in the way we live, we need transportation. And the transportation has got to be something other than a horse or a mule. Because I wouldn't know what to do with that. I would not have feed that. Wouldn't be even as cheap as a gas, I don't think. No. So we learn to take responsibility for ourselves in these matters. Really, now, you look at the word responsibility. Responsibility for ourselves is a big step. It is a big step. <clears throat> you know, it means giving up your mother and your father. It is what Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You're responsible for yourself. Hmm. And... Um, it also means giving up 
the shining knight on a white horse who's going to come and rescue me out of this mess that I got myself into. Yeah. Or this nice fairy princess who will cook and sew and take care of all my needs. Do you have any idea how difficult that is to give up? The mother and the father and the white shining knight and the, and, the, and the little fairy princess who takes such good care of me. Hmm? That's all part of being responsible, is to give them up. Yeah. Now, deep down within me, in all of us, when I say me, we know, we know that life has no goal. We know it. And we know that each moment is an end to itself. And you know it. You just don't want to look at it. This mind does not like this at all, at all. And yet at the same, you know, this mind being what it is and so occupied, we go on missing today because we're so involved with tomorrow in our heads. And the tomorrow that we plan never really arrives. It's always different. I don't care how many conversations you plan, it ain't going to turn out that way at all. We lose our lives, we throw away our lives in this manner. And the days go by and we're waiting for tomorrow, and the days go by and we're planning for tomorrow. And in the end, there's nothing in our hands except the ashes of our hopes because we didn't assume the responsibility. Not more than one single moment is given us. One single moment, one single moment, one single moment, one single moment. And if we dedicate this moment to purposes, except life itself, you know, we deprive ourselves. I mean, you know, there is an well, you know, there is an aim in life. There is a an, there is a purpose. I could turn around and say that too, and that is to know your birthright. But other purposes of accumulating wealth and, and uh, getting our hopes all up for all kinds of nonsense. We do deprive ourselves. You know, Bodhidharma handled this quite well. When, uh, <clears throat> you know, the emperor asked him about all these temples that he had built and donated and got the people to go. What was his reward for doing all this holy work? And Bodhidharma says, nothing holy, no reward. Then why do you bother with all this teaching? What is the purpose of it? And Bodhidharma said, the tree grows in the garden. 
just beautiful. Just beautiful. Also, this non-purpose thing, it doesn't mean that if you have to catch an airplane to go somewhere tomorrow, that you should catch it this moment in this day. It doesn't mean that at all. And it doesn't mean that you can't look at a timetable, you know, if you're going to leave next week sometime to see what time it leaves and make your arrangements. And it doesn't mean that the project you're working on, whatever it is, you know, uh, that's, you know, isn't going to be completed way until way down the line that you shouldn't make some kind of arrangements for it today. Yeah. You know, building the rest of this, whatever we're going to call it, it's a, the <laughs> Zendo, the rest of the church, or whatever, is going to take a long time. Could take several years. Could take a good couple anyway. Yeah? Maybe more. Maybe ten. But the decision to do this thing, the decision to act, took how long? Hmm? The decision to act on what was suddenly presented. All of a sudden, something came together, and it was this moment, and that's all. This moment. Something all of a sudden so visible and so obvious was presented, was, was there. Not that it was presented that way, I can't say that, but all of a sudden something was there, you know, as if it had already been accomplished. This moment. And so here we are, lagging along in our time, you know, and we're somehow going to get it together. You know, for example, you know, I could say with this kind of business of, uh, just, let's say I want to get up, I want to start a habit of getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning for whatever reason. Making the decision to do that belongs to this moment. Hmm? It is in this moment that you make the decision. When you make a decision in this moment, take as much interest and as much pleasure as you possibly can in this moment, in this decision. To make a decision in this moment is a pleasure in itself. Now, I know that I procrastinate. I'll do this tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. So I'm always overloaded. <laughs> the things I should have done. <laughs> I dilly and I dally around, and I look at this side of the question, and I look at that side of the question, and see, I'm so ambivalent. I'm a Pisces. I have to do this, you see. I'm ambivalent. And at the same time, if I'm presented with something that needs a hmm, <clears throat> there it is. I can, and I do, and I'm not afraid, and I love it. I just love it to make a decision like that. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it comes from other than me, you know? So anyway, I decided I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Enjoy. Enjoy the decision that I made this moment. 
I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. And if I enjoy the decision, then I can enjoy getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning. If I don't enjoy the decision, I will not enjoy getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning. So, okay. To live in this present moment does not mean that you can't plan for a future. Right? It simply means that life is more than planning for a future. It's more. Okay. To be alive, you know, that's life. And to live with that, not in the head where this is all buried out here, you know, but alive with it, with life. Huh? And this is possible only in this moment. So we look around and we see there are three kinds of persons, three kinds of people. One kind is rather like a simpleton. Mm -hmm. He's thrown here and he's thrown there. He goes wherever life pushes him. And he never takes his existence in his own hands. And he has not assumed any responsibility for the way he lives, except maybe that he li likes to live in this willy-nilly fashion, and so he becomes a hobo. Hmm? Yeah. <clears throat> He's kind of like a dead leaf blown by the wind and rather apathetic. Hmm? Now, then there's the other side of the fence. And we find here that a man's running. He's running, and he's running. He's running to a goal. He's got to attain this thing. And there are many people in this world that look upon him as being very intellectual and wise. His life of ambition, you know, in which each moment is sacrificed for that which is to come. Investing today for tomorrow, and tomorrow for the next day, and the next day for the next day. And he spends his whole life in these pursuits, running, running, and running. And then there's a third type. Yeah. He's neither lazy like the first one, nor is he obsessed as the second one. He doesn't run away from life. And then he's not dull and uh, unmoved by the currents. He's, and he's not madly rushing around. Because when this third type of person runs, it's because it's necessary in this moment, in this moment. To live, you know, life, life, in, in the essence of, in the very fullness of this moment, which of course you can't do right now because you're listening, and you're listening with your head, your mind. Hmm? This is why they say, don't do this, don't talk. You know, it keeps you in your head. But anyway, this third type who tries to live in the, in the essence of it, you know, and at, at the end, you know, he doesn't regret that his life was spent in vain because he didn't reach goals, because he didn't have these goals set for himself in the first place. And he is one that can take death very calmly and knows that whatever came before him through his life, he accepted. And whatever he got, whatever he obtained, 
he enjoyed it to the fullest. He just very quietly assumed responsibility. Hmm? The first man ignores responsibility, and there's a lot of this kind around and about today. The second one makes a fetish of responsibility in all of these obsessions. And the third man, he lived. Big difference, huh? Big difference. Well, then we ask, how shall I live? Well, just drop. Hmm? So many purposes. I mean, of putting yourself into the purposes, of putting yourself into your desires, and putting yourself into your goals, and putting yourself into your greed. Hmm? If you drop all of that, then ask the question again, how shall I live? It makes very different, huh? How? How? When we ask why, this leads to ambition, huh? How leads to yourself. How? How shall I live? It takes you within, you know, to look at how should I live. Why don't I do this and why don't I do that? You know, it has a tendency to take you away because why is what they're, all, but they're, they're doing, so I better do it too. Huh? And then, of course, we have the, these people who say that we don't have to worry about any of these things because all of this of the whys and the wherefores and everything, the answers to that will be given us uh, after life is over. That everything that is worth attaining is beyond this life. See? That it is obtained in death. And this is quite, I might say, a widespread theory. Hmm? Well, whoever has come back to you personally after dying, hmm? to tell you that they received all the answers just because they died. Hmm? And then people go to seances and they ask all kinds of questions, you know, how to live, how to invest money, should I buy a red tie or a green tie, or should I get a permanent on Friday or should I wait until Monday? Uh, what was I in my last life, and what well, am I going to be in my next life? You know, all this is a waste of time and money. Just be glad you are, and just be what you are, and accept the responsibility that you are. Huh? And then you can do something about it. So this practicing non-assertion. Opening and closing the gates of heaven, he will be like a mother bird, bright and white and penetrating the four quarters. He will be unsophisticated. He quickens but owns not. He acts but claims not. He excels but rules not. And this is called profound Virtue. 
So this mother bird <coughs> feeds. <coughs> now there is a male type of mind that functions in a particular way. And there is a female type of mind that works in an entirely different manner. The male mind is aggressive. And remember, this doesn't apply only to men. It's a type. The male mind is a symbol of aggression. Competitive women. Yeah. Trying to get in. We have today, and we always have had, only now they're a little more obvious, competitive women, women motivated by the animus. So they have animosity. So where animosity came from, animus? Mm -hmm. oh. You learn something every day, even when you come to class. <laughs> <laughs> Competition, aggressive, huh? And now the female type of mind is patient. It's waiting. And it acts almost as if it had an invitation in it. Hmm? You know, have you, have you ever observed women? No? Well, I mean other than... <laughs> huh? Women... They talk, you know, and, and if, if the woman type of mind, you know, they give out a free, most of what they give out today, you know, what I've observed, they give out this frequency that, you know, <clears throat> that they're receptive, but what they're receptive to is sex. But this mind, if you watch the mind, you know, it, it, the, the woman's a female mind is receptive, it's inviting. Uh, it's it's um, supporting. The feminine mind of itself is not aggressive. It is not out to control, because to control you've got to be aggressive. That's the male mind. The masculine mind is aggressive, and it doesn't need any help. It thinks. <laughs> Some men are so aggressive that it turns into rape and violence. That's the aggressive mind. Hmm? The aggression reaches such a peak that it turns into enmity. But the receptive, you know, the feminine, it, it's, it's like water. It supports and it flows. And it's a, the feminine natural attitude toward life. Now these are symbolic, you understand. Lao Tzu says that we can have, 
what are the types, you know, of relationship with existence itself. We can have aggression, we can be aggressive toward life. That is, we have a type of enmity toward life. Or we can be receptive and we can accept in a kind of a friendliness. We can accept life. <clears throat> so he says, you know, become like the female bird. How one acts in circumstances, male mind or female mind. And so one can observe oneself, how one can switch from one to the other, given a set of circumstances. And if you observe this, you know, you really watch, you can assume some responsibility for a change if change is what is necessary. If a change is what you must do, you must first see that change is necessary. And that's difficult. Because usually, you know, you're hurt. And then right away you try to push it off. That's the aggression, you see. You push it off instead of being receptive and letting it flow and it changes as water changes. Hmm? So the whole thing is back to let go. Just let go. Events happen. We don't have to be so hasty. We don't have to be so insistent on one particular type of result that it must end this way. Boom. We don't have to do that. We can cultivate an ability to accept what is happening and what is going to happen. See, open the doors and be like the female bird. Open the windows and then you can be at peace with whatever you are. You don't have to be at peace with what's out there, but be at peace with whatever you are. And you are a human being, almost, huh? And you want to erase this word almost, eh? then do not incur enmity with existence, with life. What is happening is what is happening this moment. And it may be the very best that could happen for you as you are now. And the circumstances being what they are. It may be for all the misery and the anguish and the sorrow that you feel now about the situation, someday you will say, thank God. Thank God it happened the way it did. I've said it many times. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's another thing. When you get a little wise about something, Say you've penetrated into yourself to some extent and you've gotten a little glimpse of this wisdom. When wisdom has entered the, your picture, you no longer have to pretend that you are wise. Hmm. You no longer have to be arrogant thinking you know. If this flame of wisdom 
is lighted in you, do you really have to proclaim it? Hmm. How can wisdom proclaim to be wise? No. As soon as a person knows, let's say that through a transcendental experience knows, when he knows, he knows also that it is impossible to know it all. There is always, always, always much more to be known. There is no end to knowing. And so the goal of knowing something once and for all is really rather absurd. It is a process, you know, just going on in its way. <clears throat> and there's this other point. Who is the knower? The ego? How in the world could the ego be transcendent? Who is the knower? Who knows? Hmm? And when, let us say, you, you become this true self, hmm? then who is the knower? Who is going to be the knower after that? Hmm? Well, when I get to be the true self, I'm going to know it all. I don't have to worry about that. That's my goal. I'm going to be the true self and know it all. But your true identity is not an entity as such that you can call a knower. So now what? When one has dissolved in the ocean of knowing, you know, just like salt dissolves in water, you know, they speak of it, or at least Edward Arnold does in his poem, The Light of Asia, the dewdrop slips into the shining sea, and at the same time, the dewdrop swallows the shining sea. Hmm? If it's dissolved like salt, what happened to the knower, you who know so much? Hmm? What happens to the knower? Now, you're treading a path, it is called this, huh? You're seeking to find out what your true identity is, so you're treading a path. And the path that you're on, the path of knowing, you want to know who you are, and you want to know what this is all about, you know. This path that you are on leads to the dissolution of the self. Very well put, but you understand it. Understand also that in the very first place, as you're sitting there now, there isn't any knower. No. There is no entity known as knower. And some people take this to mean annihilation, that when we get 
when they use this term nirvana, you're blown out. This is annihilation, so it's the whole thing is nihilistic. You know, nothing but death. Except for one thing, that the entity known as the knower was never there in the first place. Hmm? So what got annihilated? What is this annihilation business, huh? Yeah. Who is the knower? Now, we have this goal. We want to know. We want to know this, what knows. Yeah. And as long as we have that goal very firmly in mind, the ego is going to be very much in evidence. Hmm? When that goal is absent, there's no reason for this ego I to remain. This ego eye that is so persistent and so sly. <clears throat> there is a story about a man coming to visit Socrates. Socrates is in prison, you know, and he's uh, waiting for his sentence. And uh, this man that comes to visit him is a sophist. And a sophist is a person at that time, they were teachers of philosophy and uh, of the art of successful living. And uh, they have lots of arguments that are very correct in form and very correct in appearance, uh, but are actually invalid and are used to deceive. Mm -hmm. It's called sophism. This man was a sophist and from which we can get our word sophisticated. Huh? And this sophist says to uh, Socrates, there is nothing absolute in this world. Nothing is independent. Nothing is perfect in this world, neither man nor his doctrines nor his truth. So Socrates says to him, you know, he looks at him and he says, is your statement completely and fully true? <laughs> and this sophist, you know, by now, he had jumped into the, his, his own excitement about explaining something to Socrates, you know. He, he was in the heat, you know, he's all ready to really argue, you know, and he was the heat of everything, you know, and not realizing that now he's going to get caught in his own words, he says, this is wholly true. This is absolutely true. So, whenever we insist, and this again is the aggressive mind, huh? we insist and we assert the completeness of anything, we forget that life is very mysterious. You know, we always say two and two are four, and that's the end of it. We know two and two is four. Well, sometimes for me, two and two wind up to be seven. Hmm. That's why I can't add. 
what we usually call the truth, you know, comes from man. We read it here and we read it there. Opinions, huh? And it, it's, it's partially, at best, partially true. It's not perfect. You know? And in the next breath we say, what I say is absolutely true. It's like saying nothing is absolute, all is relative, but what I say is absolute. This is what this little sophist did. Huh? Now, this kind of a statement, this kind of a thing, can turn on us. And it's, you know, it's like, never say never. Because as soon as that's out of your mouth, somehow it gets out there and it turns around and then boomerangs back, almost as if it wants revenge. You can watch this, huh? So, <clears throat> Let's have a life with an attitude of acceptance, and which is an invitation to life itself. And in, and in this is our preparation to become this knowing process, the accepting of a responsibility to live a noetic life. And. Uh, if you have the courage, you can attain. And in that, we don't just sit and wait and strive just for tomorrow. No. And of course, the Tao also doesn't send us into some higher world up there in the sky. It is rather that this Tao says that in accepting, one is surrounded and permeated by this Tao on all sides. And when that is, when we can see that, then the treasures of life, you know, are all available. Okie dokie. Everybody needs a lot. And now made a peace. And the power that passeth all understanding hold us and keep us in the love of the Christed consciousness while we are seemingly separate one from another. And I do thank you very much. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.